Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. We long to see the body of Christ look like Jesus. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out each Tuesday. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and leave a rating or review. It's easy. It's simple. You can do it right now. Just go give five stars. I'm sure that's exactly what you give it. So give it five stars. Uh, and that would greatly help us out to get us uh, into the hands of new listeners. So thank you. Previous guests of the show have included Jamie Winship, David Fitch, and Kath Livesey. You could go back, listen to those episodes and more. But today's guest is Julian Adams. Julian is an author, pastor, and internationally recognized prophet. Originally from Cape Town, he now resides in Boston, where he and his wife Katia lead the Table Boston Church. Julian and I have a conversation around the prophetic, hearing God's voice, speaking hope, joining God in his mission to make all things new, and our place and role in the kingdom of God. I really loved this one. So here is Julian Adams. All right, Julian, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you on. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. So good to be with you. Yeah. You know, I'd love to start uh, with your story of how you you moved from a place of uh, saying, I want to escape the disaster of this world and just enter into heaven as an eternal perspective to a God is actually doing something here on earth. Uh, that he has a kingdom, he's making the the earth new, and we have a role and a part to play in this kingdom. What was your story like moving into that? Uh, you know, I did, I grew up uh, my Christian life in the kind of eighties, um, right into the nineties. Uh, it was just post Larry Norman's "I Wish We'd All Been Ready" song um, about the, the rapture and how we'd all. Um, been lifted off of this earth while 2K was approaching, yet yeah, 2000 approaching. I was in school. We were coming out of apartheid South Africa. I was in Cape Town at the time, 1994. Apocalyptic scenes were happening everywhere in my world riots, crazy, um, violence. All of those things were happening in my world. So the idea of escaping from this world to a perfected world was wonderful. Um, together with a failure to see the promises of the prosperity movement in South Africa at the time coming to pass, 
all of those things began to feed in my mind to Jesus, take me out of there, let me get out of there, go to heaven. And I think when I began to uh, engage with God, began to enjoy his presence, there was a sense of such wonder and beauty that the Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of eschatology. She brings the end mm-hmm. and eschatology to bear upon us now. And so when I was having times with him in our worship and in our church community, it was so amazing. I felt the nearness of heaven, mm-hmm. rightly so. And it was only once I began to marry that with their healthy eschatology and worldview and began to discover that heaven was not simply a detached reality that we go to. But actually, this coexisting reality that we get to engage in and that God's desire through the cross and resurrection wasn't to get a people to escape from this earth. Yeah. But really, it was about heaven coming to the earth and making all things new. Hmm. And with the advent of uh, of this kind of revelation, as I began to read and uh, discover theologians who began to think differently about heaven, I began to realize this is firmly rooted in scripture and in the prayer that Jesus prayed, which he wants to answer, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That the desire of Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry was not simply to die and prepare a place that will be eternally outside of this world, but to prepare a place that would one day swallow this world up and make out of this world all things mean. And that as the people of God, we get to show that picture right now to make it attractive and beautiful and enticing for people who have not yet entered into the kingdom of God. So those are some of the things that shape the way I yeah. thought. And rightly, it started to put my world into perspective. Like, I need to be afraid of the Antichrist. I need to be afraid of uh, changing governments. I need to be afraid of difficulties in this world because God's kingdom was breaking out in ways that not only I could see, but even in the unseen ways. And uh, it gave me so much hope and restored and reframed my childhood as mm. I began to get that. I began to see actually God was at work in it all. Yeah. I get to be part of that. Yeah, that's amazing that we actually could step into it. So. Can you just uh, tell us a little bit, what is then the kingdom of God? What is that reality uh, here on earth, like bringing the kingdom from heaven to earth? And then what is our role within that kingdom? I, I love, uh, I think, theologian George Elgin Ladd, who, who speaks of the kingdom of God being God's rule and reign on the earth as it is as were in heaven. And I think the kingdom of God in short, it is his gracious rule that makes things right. Hmm. Um, and the way they always intended it to be uh, right from the garden of Eden, the trajectory is that God has been on this mission to redeem what we lost in the garden of Eden in order to make it right and for his will to fully come. Um, so for me, the kingdom of God is a realm, it's a place where God dwells in perfection, that realm is coexisting to this earth realm, and God is wanting to make that realm break out, the place of his perfection, the place of his beauty, the place of his wonder, where there's no sickness, no disease, no poor, and no, no orphan, that he's wanting to break that out on the earth now. Mm. Uh, and he's done that, he's chosen to do that, 
through Jesus. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus makes heaven and earth become a reality in that he perfectly joined heaven and earth again, um, as it were. And so this thought that actually because we now are in Christ, we get to, by way of being in Christ, extend this ministry, which is all about the kingdom of God coming, right? The first yeah. words Jesus mentions is change the way you think because God's kingdom, his domain, his rule and reign is now within arm's reach. It's at hand, which means it's accessible, it's, it's, um, it's engageable, it's tangible. And that's what he did when he healed the sick, when he cleansed the leper, when he set the captives free, those who've been oppressed, when he overturned the political systems of the day, when he established righteousness and equity for the poor and broken, the way he treated women. These were all signs that his kingdom was breaking in, in a new way and in an accelerated way. And we, by way of being his children, get to escape that. Um, on the earth today, and they act as beacons or prophetic pointers or signs to this unseen kingdom, which is more real than what we see physically. Yeah, and that God is now joined together in the person of Jesus, and by way of extension in the church of Jesus. Mm. So let's uh, let's break it down into so, some practical ways. So in and practically, you know, when you're say, in Boston uh, with with your church, uh, what does it look like to make things new when you're encountering the brokenness of society and the broken people uh, around you? What does it look like to to see the kingdom actually interact and and to the people and places around you? You're making it real easy for me today, aren't you? Um, <laughs> asking me all these all these fun questions. Um, yeah, you know, when when my wife Katja and I decided to move to Boston, uh, we really asked God for a name for our church that we wanted to plant. And we felt the Lord say, you could call it the table, the table of Boston, because I mean, I meet people around the table. Yeah. And uh, I love this because actually the culmination of the kingdom coming is going to be a great almighty feast. It's going mm-hmm. to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's, it points to that reality. And um, yeah, the Bible in Jesus' prayer in, in Luke, when Jesus teaching us how to pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And uh, he's saying that in a context to Jewish hearers who had what's called an eschatological world. In other words, they were expecting the full expression of God's kingdom to come anytime soon. Yeah. And in Jewish thought, this idea of a great feast, a great banquet, was the highest aim um, of that experience of God's kingdom. And so when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, the phrase that is used there in the Aramaic is, give us today the bread of tomorrow. It's literally meaning, um, what would it look like if the feast that is to be had in the end if we got to eat some of that bread today. Mm. And so for us here in Boston, that's the question we're asking. How do we create a context of feasting that gives us some of the bread uh, that we will eat of God's justice, his mercy, his kindness? And practically, that looks like how we treat the poor, the broken, how we treat um, women, how we treat the immigrants. All of those are signs of God's kingdom. 
how we demonstrate healing. So you're in our local church, we're praying for the sick regularly and seeing people get healed. Mm, uh, we're expecting that people can be changed. When people are oppressed by anxiety and fear, we're praying, expecting that freedom will come um, at, at a very basic, practical level. How we have meals around our table is a sign of the kingdom. Yeah. And, and so that is important, how we break bread together in terms of the sacrament of communion is actually not a past event. It's a futuristic time. We do this in remembrance, knowing that he will come back for us. And so we're doing all of those things. And then engaging in terms of justice and mercy. How do we set up for the broken of the poor? How do we feed the poor? How do we equip those who are marginalized? How do we how do we create context where people find family mm. in our world? And those are some of the the questions we're asking. One of the other things that we're doing is what um, what Walter Brueggemann, the great theologian, writing on prophetic imagination, says: we are future fantasizing. <laughs> so we we're looking and saying, God, can you unlock our imagination about what Boston is going to need in five years' time? Mm-hmm. What are the questions they will be asking then, so we can start answering it now? So when we get there in five years' time, we've got ideas, we've got models that will answer the pressing questions of culture and of the difficulties that we're facing. We're wanting to disciple people. Like the ultimate way that Jesus brought about his kingdom was through 12 men who went on to impact the world in a significant way. And so what does discipleship look like and, and spiritual formation look like in a world together that's fast paced, that is information driven, but very often not engaging in in heart transformation. What does activism on behalf of the broken the poor look like beyond simply a placard um, to how do we incarnate this in our in our everyday and every way? So those are some of the questions we're asking. And some of them more successful than the others. Yeah. Um we're, we're working this out, we're figuring it out. We, I keep saying to people, this is a great experiment. Because ultimately, I, I kind of feel like God in his wisdom uh, took the greatest step of faith by giving keys to the church to 12 men <laughs> in the Middle East, hoping that something would happen. And here we are. You yeah. know? And so those are some of the things we're doing, praying we safe, engaging with the poor, uh, changing our language, like we wanted to, I feel like one of the things that I've discovered a liberal progressive thoughts here in Boston, it is that it actually lacks hope. Yeah. And even just bringing a prophetic hope mm. is enough to change the conversation and to awaken the desire. Mm. And so we're like, how do we, how do we unlock prophetic and the hopeful imagination and changing the articulation? not simply becoming the echo chambers of society. Yeah, that's good. And I see uh, a lot that there's a lot of people trying to do this prophetic work, this social justice work, uh, this activism, uh, and it's not rooted and grounded in in God. It's just saying, hey, we know that there's brokenness, and so we're trying to fix it, but they're not trying to fix it, um, rooted with God and in the that relationship with God. So how do we bring into that space a place where we actually see the fullness of of the prophetic take place 
so we could actually see all things made new and all those broken places where people are trying to act without God actually become new. You know, Revelation 19, 10 says that we're to worship God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we misunderstand about the prophetic is that it is um, simply a tool that opens up the door to God's preferred future. Mm -hmm. When actually the spirit of prophecy, according to John's revelation there, is that it speaks of and it is pivoted upon the person of Jesus. Like what we know to be true about Jesus is what unlocks the potential for prophecy to flow Mm. and for his his mercy and justice to be demonstrated. And that's largely because we misunderstood justice to be an event and an act rather than a person. Jesus is the person of justice. Yes. which means justice without Jesus is no justice at all. Yeah. It means activism without the centrality of Jesus in the midst of it is simply protest. It's not going to bring any transformation. And ultimately, the issue of change begins with the heart. And so I, I think in an attempt to respond to needs, we can sometimes sterilize the power of the gospel, knowing Christ, knowing him crucified and resurrected as an attempt to say, but well, we're meeting a felt need. And I always say we have to do that. Yeah. Except in the church, we have to proclaim Christ as we're doing. Mm. It will lead us to results and liberation without true freedom. Mm. And we've got to bring the clarity of the gospel um, back in what we do. And so for me, when I, you know, the gift I predominantly operate in and am known for in the church is the prophetic. Yeah. So when I prophesy over people in, um, in the supermarket or in my taxi or on an airplane or when I am loving on the poor and, and the broken and the those who've been afflicted by drug abuse, what I'm doing is I'm prophesying in a way that points to Jesus. I don't hide that. Yeah. I don't put that to the side. I bring him front and center because Jesus will always do one of two things. He'll either be offensive or he'll be irresistible. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, he, there is no other option that we have. And I, Feel that in an attempt to be politically correct, in an attempt to try and dial down, and I want to say we never want to be offensive for offensive sake. Yeah, but we should be okay with being offensive for gospel sake. Mm. And so I want to bring Jesus central to that. So I don't, I don't go, oh, you know, I, I feel that you might have this problem and put the folks up there. I go, and I think Jesus is wanting to reveal something to you. Mm. I draw them, you know, he's so kind. I, I want I want them to come into any encounter with Jesus because ultimately we either believe the good news of Jesus, crucified, resurrected, ascended, and coming back again, is transformative hmm. or it's not. Wow. And so when I began to get this revelation, particularly in the context of the incarnational way that Jesus lived, yeah. like he lived this stuff out, 
that he is the person of justice. He is the person of mercy. Yeah. He is the spirit of prophecy. Like if I want to unlock the prophetic future that God has for a region, for an area, for a city, or for a person, I've got to draw them to Jesus first. Mm. That that's where it flows from. That's where the power source comes from. And and I fear that in our attempt to be culturally relevant to the church, we've missed the point of Jesus. Um, he really is, as the old adage goes, um, he really is the answer. <laughs> and I want to draw people to him. I want yeah. to draw draw people to the glory. And I've got to be okay the moment she becomes offensive to that. Because mm. He either is an offense or he is irresistible. But there's no halfway. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. And, you know, if people want to, to be able to to interact with this way and actually speak uh, prophetically uh, to people to hear uh, revelation from God and speak into people's lives, uh, I, I know a lot of people in the Western church primarily uh, think it's very mystical. They don't actually can't grab a hold of it. Uh, it, it seems to be far off for just for some special people. Um, how can we start to to enter into hearing God speak uh, and then speak pr- his words to other people? Yeah, you know, I think that's just a great question, and I agree with you. Um, I think the prophetic movement, particularly in the Western church, has checked their brains out at the door, and the result is this weird, disconnected mysticism that is of no earthly relevance or good. And I think my aim in the prophetic is to help demystify it for people. And I think yeah. it starts with realizing that relationship requires communication. Hmm. Like this is not a foreign concept on any other level. Yeah. Yet when we get saved, we kind of think that there's no communication going on. And so the next question has to be asked is, well, how do we find out how God communicates? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's helpful to look to scripture to discover that because the scripture is a a a revelation. It is a articulation of how God interacts with humankind and how we can learn from it. And there's so many things in there. And so just a few things I'll throw out. God often speaks to us in the stillness of our own mind and in our heart. Now many of us have all of us have internal dialogue. Yeah. We just have to learn how to discern what's helpful dialogue and what's unhelpful dialogue. Mm-hmm. And and so learning to recognize the internal dialogue and learning to recognize what the voice of God sounds like internally. And most often it's not. And you go, Charles Heston, I think it is, or whatever it was that played Moses back in the day, speaking with a King James sounding voice with vows and bees, it's not this weird voice out there. Most often sounds like the spontaneous thoughts and impressions and ideas mm. that God's putting into our head and into our mind. That as we step out on them, we begin to realize, actually, that was the voice of Jesus to me. Um, it's most often out of Scripture that thoughts, ideas that begin to jump out of Scripture, begin to shape the way we think, and suddenly a name pops into it, and I think, I wonder if I should say that to that person. Mm. And, and when I do, they go, oh my gosh, this is exactly where I'm at. It's so practical and simple. It's mm. not difficult. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I often tell people, yeah, I've got two um, great kids, Ezekiel and Evangeline, and they're just the cutest little things here, but if I withheld 
communication from them and to them, I'd be abusive in my relationship yeah. with them. Yeah, we think that's true of God. And God, the whole point mm. of the coming of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is that we will have communication, that we will be able to hear God's voice, prophesy, see visions, drink, drink. And there's a spectrum of stuff. And I think a starting point for me is learning to show my heart and allowing spontaneous thoughts that are centered around scripture and around what I know to be true about who God is in the Bible to invade my mind, to invade my internal dialogue, yeah. to take some notes. And then I, I often try and focus that on particular people I'm praying. Now I begin to try that out. And so I've begun to try that out. I've begun to get a little track critical with God, which then gives me confidence for the person in the supermarket for my business yeah. colleague, for, um, and, and I'm not weirding them out by going, thus said the Lord Jesus Christ Almighty. I'm going, hey, I was thinking about you, or I was praying about you. This impression is what I felt. Does that make sense to you? I mean, engaging in a con- yeah. conversation with them to invite them in to the process. And most often I've found that people, A, are super open to that. Yeah. There are very few people I've heard say, don't, don't, don't talk to me about that. And secondly, most often it resonates with them because the truth is God knows what's in people's hearts and what they need to hear. And he's just looking for someone who would partner with him yeah. to release that to them. So this is some of the simple practical things that mm-hmm. I've done. I've got some great resources on my website that are all free around how to recognize God's voice. How do you, I've got a course on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, that's Prophecy 101 which is just into like five minutes of how do I recognize God's voice? How do I do this? How do I frame what I say? And yeah. and those are easily accessible together with many more. I know my friend Pete Gregg, she's written an excellent book on how to hear God's voice. Yeah, I would get those things because they will jumpstart your ability to hear God's voice. Yeah, I remember I was actually at a conference down uh, in Orlando earlier this year. Pete Gregg was speaking on how to hear God. And he and in a group of five thousand uh, people, primarily pastors, church planters, missionaries, he said, "Here, we're going to hear from God, and we're going to say what God says to the person next to you." Um, and I remember I went up to uh, a church planter that's from from somewhere in Florida. He's been in the church for I don't know fifteen twenty years doing uh, the ministry, and I I gave him a word, and he said, you know, that really resonated with him, and it was right where he was at, and you know, he was very comforted by it, and saying, yes, thank you for that. And then he, he turned to me, and all he did was like, hey, God bless Joshua, bless him, and and what he's doing. It was a very generic prayer, and I think sometimes people like he was afraid to to actually practice saying what he thought he was hearing from God in in that situation. And I mean, even the the professionals, the, the so-called professional Christians, sometimes are are scared to speak what uh, they believe uh, God is saying to them. So one of the things I think it, it really needs some some practice for us, some safe practice. So and I think that if we're hearing something, if we don't speak it out, we're going to start to second guess ourselves. Um, so how do we get into some safe practice where we could start to build our confidence in discerning the voice of God um, and speaking it in a way that is not going to be, um, you know, just some random people on the street at the beginning? 
Yeah, I think there are a few things I, I'd like to comment on that, Joshua. Thanks. It, firstly, I've got to realize that I am a son mm. uh, to God, that he's adopted me. And I often, I often joke and say this whenever I prophesy over people. Hey, I'm okay to get it wrong because I'm God's favorite. <laughs> um, and, and everyone who loves Jesus, who's being caught up in the person of Jesus, is God's favorite. Yeah. Because Jesus is his favorite. And I've been caught up in Jesus in this wonderful relationship. And so understanding that my performance in the kingdom of God does not equate with my work. Hmm. That actually, whether I get right or wrong, doesn't ever devalue my worth. And I often say you're kind of like in, in the Christian faith, you're you're kind of going up on an escalator. Even when you fail and fall, you're still going up. Yeah. And, and once I get that settled in my heart, the sense of risk and adventure and crossing the checking line becomes a lot more um, exciting. I think the second thing is to understand a gift is only a gift when you give it away. Mm. Until then, you've yeah. just got something that you're holding out for someone. And so going, hey, I need to give this away to someone. Mm. Um, I think that's really important. I think the third thing I'd say is when you have a good base of the Bible in you, you can be confident that what you will be speaking uh, to people will somehow represent something of God's kindness and goodness. And you can frame it in, I sense the Lord might be saying. So it's nothing authoritative about it. Yeah. But actually you're honoring the person's ability to weigh that and to go, this is either right or wrong. And you're placing value on them to be able to do that mm. by saying, I sense why I feel. I think that's really important. Sometimes we want to make it authoritative and that's why we're afraid to step up but actually going hey i'll only submit this to you i feel this might be the case why don't you weigh this up with god and yeah. people around you and i think um, lastly um the simple act of obedience is what god loves more often than not yeah um you know when i was learning to, when i was teaching my kid how to walk um I would step back from him in order for him to walk toward me. And sometimes he'd fall. Now, I didn't go, you will never walk in your life because you fell. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm encouraging him in the simple act of him stepping up. Mm. I think one of the things is that in the simple act of obedience and stepping out of what you sense and what you feel, um, God honors that. And you don't have to use... Uh, you, you don't have to get it right 100% all the time. Yeah. And just getting the pressure off of that is amazing. I think the reality is um, when you step out in obedience and say, I sense God saying, it mm -hmm. does put you out there. It does yeah. put you in a sense of, oh my gosh, this is terrifying if I get this wrong. However, because you're inviting feedback and you're learning in the process, it, it gives both the Yura and your sense of security mm. in God. Um, and so those are the things I'd encourage people to do uh, in stepping out in the prophetic. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, fantastic. I just, you know, my wife and I lived in the Middle East for, for five years when we worked with Syrian refugees. And uh, we had a couple on our team that didn't speak Arabic. So they actually couldn't, we, we had to translate for them and back translate. And so... A lot of times when we were sitting in living rooms of these refugee families, we would have conversations and our, our teammates would be listening to see if there was anything that God wanted to speak to this family. And probably ev every time that they did 
they interjected and said, I think that God wants to say this to them. And then we spoke it. Tears, it, they encountered the living God through that and through their words. And I, I just don't, I want to s- stress this, that this is really important that people encounter the living God. They encounter Jesus and they don't just hear about Jesus. They don't just say, here's the truth and just the, the, the knowledge about him, but they encounter him that he's actually good news for them and he knows what they're going through. Um, so I just want to stress that this is really important. It's important stuff that we are actually living into this and actually obeying what God is saying to us and those small steps of obedience opens things up in ways that you you never thought was possible before. So, you know, I, I remember flying on an airplane, I was flying back from a ministry trip and I got upgraded, which I was very grateful to Jesus for. <laughs> and, um, I'm sitting in, in first class thinking, thank the Lord, I could be quiet and just listen by myself. And um, it was it was so fascinating. In that moment, I got this sense of a prophetic word for someone that was sitting next door to me. And it was the simplest word. And mm. literally, I felt like this is not revelatory, this is not going to make a difference. But the simple word was, God cares about your son and his schoolwork. Hmm. And I was like, it's so obvious. Like, obviously, it was the language that but this is not like, this is not like earth shattering. But I said that Kula Glenn and him, she began to weep and she began to express to me that her son actually had been in a, um, a class for kids with learning struggles and they just moved this kid into mainstream and he was doing his first math exam that day. Mm-hmm. And then the point was not simply the content of the word, but it was everything else that was going on around it. Yeah. The timing, how this woman felt. And I had an opportunity to share the love with Jesus. And she just weeping, saying, I didn't know Jesus cared about this too. Hmm. Um, and in those moments, everything changed. And, and I, think, I think one of the things I often tell people around the prophetic is the simplicity of the prophetic begins with the lifestyle of courage. If you make a habit of encouraging people, you will more often than not find that the prophetic will flow more regularly in different spaces and different times. I was just um, on a ministry trip this last weekend in Raleigh, North Carolina, and my Uber driver was with me. And um, I just started encouraging her, just very simply. And again, overwhelmed by the presence of God, just completely undone that Jesus knew her. She didn't get saved. But I was able to share Jesus with her, which I know when she's driving home, she's thinking, I need to I need to give Jesus consideration now. Yeah. Because he just told me things and no one else knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just love it. It's so simple. There's no, you know, insert favorite Christian music playing in the background. <laughs> there's no there's no goosebumps. Yeah. The simplicity of a relational overflow with a kind Jesus who loves to talk to me and yeah. loves to talk to other people. Yeah. And I, you know, I just this morning I was having a conversation with our friends and they said their their seven-year-old daughter does this quite often with people and that they're, you know, she, they said last week she gave, like, they're having a conversation with this older woman and her, their daughter, seven-year-old, spoke a a dream that this older lady has had. Like, God gave her this impression and she spoke it 
And it was the exact same dream that this old lady, older lady had had. And like the seven-year-old girl is saying, I'm going to hear the voice of God and I'm going to speak it out. And I just think that as you know, we're raising, we want to raise our, our children uh, to a place where they could actually hear the voice of God and that they could have confidence to be able to speak it. Um, because it's not just, you know, it's not a trick. It's not just this fancy little thing. It is, it is just God's words encouraging and speaking into the life of people and giving life to people. So, absolutely. I, I'm pro- I've been prophesying since I was a kid. My kids are starting to learn how to prophesy in New York College. Yeah, and I love it. It's so much fun. Um, it's 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 what we're called to do: to natural overflow relationship. Yeah, uh, that's wonderful. Um, I would love to hear a little bit. You said, you know, first and foremost, you want to, you're a son. Um, what does it actually, what does it look like to be a son in the kingdom of God, the son of God? I think, um, I think it's J.I. Packer, the, and I'm paraphrasing, makes an incredible inference that by way of adoption, we get everything that Jesus has. Mm. Uh, we're seated in the same place that he's seated. We get to overhear Trinitarian conversations because in Christ. It's all by way of adoption. Mm. It's not because we've earned it, which Jesus did. Jesus is the perfect son, always has been eternally perfect, and while he lived on earth, he was eternally perfect. And we get that as a gift to us, which is amazing. I think the starting point for me is what Jesus like is what we're called to be like. Mm. The major difference is changing the way we think. Which is why living life in the kingdom always begins with the start of repentance, changing the way you think, which eventually always outworks to changing the way we live. Because as a man thinks, so in his heart, so he is. And so I think for me, the first point of being a son, well, the first place is genuinely coming into an understanding of my adoption and what that means. Like I am now grafted into Christ. I'm now the beauty and the wonder of God calling me father, the king of the world is my father. Mm. Uh, the, the understanding of his character is essentially good. The revelation that he is good, his love endures forever. His goodness and mercy follows me. All the wonderful things is amazing. But that in the midst of that, being a son means that God is consistently changing the areas of my life and of my heart. Yeah. By disciplining me both through his goodness and through circumstances to pull out of me all that Jesus is in me. But that's a good thing. I think the second thing it means, like I said a bit earlier, it means that I get to step out in risk, not mm-hmm. being afraid that punishment will follow if I fail. Yeah. Um, that actually God's delight in me is in the risk. God's delight in me is in the stepping out, not in the results. And that he will use even my failure to bring about even more delight. I think the other thing about being a son is that it means that if Jesus had it available to him on the earth as he was ministering the yeah. kingdom, it means I've got the same results available to me. Hmm. Um, and so heaven wants to back my steps of faith. Uh, that that when I pray for the sick, there's an there's an attraction from heaven to that, that actually God wants to heal someone. And my starting point isn't trying to convince God whether or not to heal, but actually I'm a sign, and because I'm a sign, I know he wants to heal. Mm. I might not get all the answers I want, 
but the part of who he is revealed in Jesus is what I lean into. Um, yeah. I think the other thing about son is actually genuinely, you know, that one of the key, we often make the key of being filled with the spirit external phenomenon. So am I mm. feeling some sense of power? Yeah. Am I speaking in tongues? Am I prophesying? But the fundamental revelation of whether we're filled with the Spirit, mm. according to Romans, Galatians, and I argue Ephesians, is can we cry out, Abba? Can mm. we cry out, Father? It, it's a sense of my sonship mm. connected to his fathering that tells me I am filled with the Spirit. Mm. And so I want to encourage people in my listening to this, that even right now, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is the Spirit of adoption who's been given to us lavishly without restraint, that we might say, God, you are my Papa, you're my Abba, you're my God. When you get that, mad alive, <laughs> impossibility ceases to exist. Mm. Like the idea of moving to a city from South Africa that's not my own, that's progressive, liberal, people said to me, you'll be committing spiritual administer suicide if you go to Boston. It's too hard. And suddenly, a community is established. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. God is developing something, although it's in its infancy um, in, in two years. God's doing the impossible. Wow. That's... And it all comes from a place of, well, I, I'm daddy's child. I'm Abba's child. Yeah. Um, I Just uh, to encourage you, I had uh, one of our one of my colleagues uh, spoke uh, at a little, a small little gathering in in Boston last weekend. Uh, a little missional communities that that are trying to see something happen in in the Boston area, and she said that she spoke on power and and power uh, in the kingdom and our role and and response with power. But she said that the spirit of God came in a way that she hasn't seen and felt in, in a few years. Like it was extremely powerful. And so I really think that the spirit of God is is doing something new in Boston uh, and that place. And so I was really encouraged to hear, you know, what's going on with you, what she experienced just last weekend uh, in Boston. Uh, and, you know, there is something incredible that's going to be poured out. Uh, in Boston. God is on the move. I believe the land of the Great Awakening is being awakened again. Yeah. And I don't say that as a trite, throwaway spiritual coming. Honestly, the numbers of people that we're seeing who are encountering God, even just last week, hmm. someone walked into our meeting, she's from a Hindu faith, never being into church. Hmm came in, encountered God, responded to Jesus, um, and was back this Sunday saying, my life is completely changed. I don't know what's happened. Uh, from a prominent university, all those things, like all yeah. the all the cultural blocks that we tend to say will stop someone from marrying God, yet came into an atmosphere where the kingdom of God was being made manifest, praying for the sick, worship to Jesus was uninhibited, unrestrained. And God met was that. Yeah. Um, and I, I just love it. And I could tell that story again and again and again of what God's been, not only in Boston, but in America. Guys, I I came here as a missionary to America because I believe 
America is on one of its, it's on the verge of some of its best days. Mm. Um, despite the crazy politics and liberal agenda and all the stuff that we thank our hindrances to the gospel. I want to tell you, light works best in dark places. And now, more than ever, we have an opportunity to shine. Ah, uh, beautiful. Uh, I just have a, a couple questions here, then quick questions. One, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? Um, having an extra glass of wine. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, just kidding. Just kidding. If you don't drink wine, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm from Cape Town. Um, I, think, I think don't. Don't rush the process. Mm. That God has an eternal perspective about what He's doing on Earth. Yeah, and that the urgency to make everything right in one go, at the expense of processing things in your own heart as mm. you grow, um, is sometimes um, disproportionate. Yeah. And we have to allow God to work things in our heart. And so I think. Two things. One, slow down, have fun, smell the roses, mm. uh, enjoy the moment, celebrate the small victories. Yeah. And that's definitely what I would do. Mm. And the other thing in terms of my 21-year-old self is um, I think I would enjoy my own skin a bit more. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not carbon copying someone else. Yeah. Um, and I think in my twenties I was trying to copy everybody else rather than allowing yeah. God to make me me. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Don't yeah, don't rush the process and be be you. Uh be comfortable in your own skin. I really love that. And you know, hey, another glass of wine is good. It brought me back to that August when I was in Stellenbosch uh at a at a wine oh. farm having some some wine. So I <laughs> I resonated yeah, with that. Very chilly. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Uh, yeah, anything you've been reading or watching lately you could recommend? Um, gosh, I think I am enjoying a game. I'm read. I take to read this one to you, and I'm in that space at the moment. The Raga Muffin Gospel by <laughs> Brennan Manning. Yeah, um, it always bursts me, brings me back to the reality of grace. Brings me back to the reason why I get to do this stuff, uh, which is amazing. And then, secondly, I am uh, enjoying uh, listening to some of John Tyson and to some of his thoughts. I think he's a great cultural commentator. Mm. Um, and so that's what I'm, I'm engaging in at the moment. Excellent. That's good. Where can people uh, interact with you? Find out if they want to learn more about the prophetic or anything that you have uh, written or any teachings that you have. Where, where can they find that? So the best place is to head over to either my website, julianadams.org. I've got so many resources on there that's all free. I have um, a paid course called Box Day, which means Voice of God, mm. which really helps people unlock what it means to live a prophetic lifestyle in every space and in every way. Uh, it's taken 25 years that I have been in the prophetic ministry and try to distill some of the best lessons. Um, or head over to our YouTube channel, Julian C. Adams, there's, again, lots of stuff on there that's all free, lots of resources that I am trying to get out there to help bring and help back to the prophetic movement that genuinely represents Jesus. Mm. 
That's uh, that's beautiful, and I thank you for for doing that here and just and bringing it into a place where it is all about Jesus. That Jesus is is the one; He is the Spirit of prophecy. Um, and so, out of our encouragement to others, that we actually just speak what is gospel reality and truth into people's lives and bringing it back to that. Um, so, I just thank you for for actually sharing what it looks like to be sons in the kingdom, uh, what it looks like to actually make things new uh, here on earth. Uh, as it is in heaven. So I really appreciate this conversation. So Julian, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Josh. What a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show. And just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.